welcome to Music to Life, a podcast that explores the roles of music in the lives of everyday citizens, focused on those whose careers aren't necessarily associated with the music industry. My name is Matt Karasechi, a fourth-year student at McGill University. And I'm Hila Popal, a third-year McGill student, and we are so excited to be finally launching this podcast and to be sharing our insights into the roles that music plays in the lives of our guests. Often, we are given the perspective of the impact of music on individuals who have careers in music, like an artist, a producer, an arranger, a manager. But here at Music to Life, we believe that music is certainly a major component of nearly every human. Each week, we will attempt to uncover the role that music plays within the lives of our respective guests, all of whom reside around the downtown Montreal core and whose careers and daily activities vary across a wide spectrum. This week, we're joined by Jordan Robson Kramer. Not only is he a skilled musician, he's the owner of the well-known record store Phonopolis, an institution and a definite staple in the Montreal music community. Welcome to the Music to Life podcast, Jordan. Thank you. Uh, I don't know about skillful, but I, uh, <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah, we're super excited to have you on. Thank you. Yeah. Um, you're wondering about your relationship with music and how you started sure. out with, um, you know, when, when you were younger, maybe like your, how did you first fall in love with music kind of thing? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I don't know, like the initial, initial thing. It's, it's sort of like, it's probably like one of those things where we have years. So I, I think we're generally, a lot of us are prone to liking how music sounds from a young age, but, um, I grew up uh, on Vancouver Island in BC, um, and yeah, I, I think there was like a lot of time sort of spent alone and just in you know worlds of imagination as a kid, um, and being around nature and just sort of getting into music as a an escape, I guess. Um, and yeah, I mean my my ending up in Montreal uh, happened when I was eighteen in two thousand four. Um, I played music around the city and a lot of bands, um, and, uh, actually started working at Phenopolis when it was founded by, um, the first, uh, owner who is, uh, also a musician and friend, um, who, uh, left the store back in 2015. Um, and I took over with my, uh, co-partner, um, or my partner, rather, I don't know what a co-partner is, uh, Nick Kirshner. And, um, yeah, I've, I've tried to keep the ethos and, um, intentions of owning a record store, um, founded in like what, what the, what, <laughs> what I feel like Phenopolis, um, was to begin with, which is just a, a sort of, uh, nexus point where, um, independent artists can feel comfortable bringing their music and not being judged and, and having a, a spot where you can check out things that are, uh, a bit off the path of the mainstream. So do you think that that separates you from other, uh, record shops around? Uh, I mean, some record stores in the city for sure, but other ones I think are, um, Montreal has, you know, don't let this pandemic fool you. Um, <laughs> uh, despite the fact that, uh, we haven't seen a show in almost, uh, a year. Um, there's, there's so much music happening here. And so there's many different stores that cater to many different styles and, and passions. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm just one of, uh, a few stores, uh, in the city. I mean, like we, we, La Rama down the street, um, does a really good job of that too, but they, they're in a totally different world than I am because they're, um, focused on kind of electronic, uh, musicians and DJs. And, you know, I, I'm focused on, um, all those things too, but he also has a community of people that, um, he's sort of come up with and they press records in their basement. And, um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's definitely some sources that are 
uh, keeping that going. Um, but all that to say, uh, all, all my conversations with those types of places, uh, we're, we're definitely in uh, difficult times right now to, to keep that going because of, um, I think some of the things that, um, we depend on, uh, as a store, um, as an independent store are, you know, they're non-existent right now because of, uh, the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you mentioned before that you were in a couple of bands and you're wondering, do you prefer making music over or consuming music more? I know that's a tough question, but <laughs> I, I, I kind of see it as like, it's a, um, the two are symbiotic. So, you know, like writers I talk to, um, I, I've probably asked a similar question to some writers I know, and it's, it's almost like you need to, uh, be listening to other things or experiencing other things in order to be, um, to get ideas or to, to be inspired. So it's, it's almost like a dialogue between the two. So I, I wouldn't, I'd say they're just they're You can't have one without the other in, in some way. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Exactly. Um, and then, from then, from there, uh, what was the transition like from kind of, I guess, primarily playing music to primarily selling music now? Um, or would you say you're primarily selling music? Are you still, are you still like, playing a lot of music? Uh, I, I try to, I try to carve out as much of a holistic relationship between the two. Um, I mean, back when I was working at the store, uh, with, uh, for the former, um, owner, he was, uh, in a, project called Elf and Saddle who are on Constellation Records and um, they would tour a few months out of the year and uh, we'd kind of take up the store when he was gone and um, so yeah I, I mean for me it's it's a way to stay connected I think to what's happening um, throughout the world and the local communities and um, try and find ways to stay inspired as, as a musician myself so I, I, I don't um, sorry I, I forgot your question but I think it was uh, do I prefer one or the other or uh, yeah, uh, like more like what was the transition like pers- more personally for you um going yeah. f- like do you think that uh, here's another question kind of in addition what would be uh do you think that pl- like your years of playing music has helped you to sell music more effectively um yeah i maybe uh i guess i don't know what uh what it would be like otherwise though so um yeah like i mean definitely like if there's somebody who's visiting from philadelphia or something and they're buying a uh uh i don't know like a palm record or need new body or something i'd be like oh like i know this band and and uh well you know like um so it, it can be a good way to start a conversation with um people who um may not be from uh here as well so um yeah so because you work at a record store, do you think that you feel more inclined to strictly listening to music on vinyl or cassettes and stuff? Or uh, Yeah, I, I've, I feel like I've downsized a little bit in the last few years. Um, so at, at home, I, I mostly listen to music on vinyl and uh, on the Internet. Um, (laughs) you know, well, uh, you know, I, I have speakers um, and stuff like that. It's not, uh, I I try not to listen through just uh, laptop speakers all the time, but you know, I'm only human. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, yeah, I, I think it's, uh, sometimes I, I see it more as a a relationship between, um, desiring silence and wanting to fill space with, with music. So it's, um, yeah, I'm I'm generally, uh, listening to music a good portion of the day all the time. Mm Mm-hmm. Because you're always like around music, do you feel like you need that time of silence? Like you need kind of like a, a quiet. Yeah. And, and I think it's, uh, and that quiet can also just be, um, even though it's not completely 
silent, you know, going out for a walk in a quiet part of the city or just, um, doing something that has nothing to do with using your ears and more just using your eyes or <laughs> what's the process like? Um, and how do you decide what type of records you, you like to sell? I, I'm sure you sell mostly a lot, like a lot of mainstream stuff, but then you're just talking about independent artists as well. So how does that process take place? Yeah. Well, in pre pandemic times, um, it, it was a lot different, I think. Uh, and I, I, I almost hesitate to use it in past tense because I'd like to think we are going to go <laughs> back to that once. Um, uh, Hopefully. <laughs> things are things are safer. But um, yeah, it's it's these days uh, sales have been more focused around um, helping people uh, receive what they're looking for. Um, whereas I think when a record store is open and there are bands coming through the city and playing shows and maybe, you know, maybe like a local band open up for them and they have like a tape for sale or, uh, a record for sale. And, and, and just that kind of constant, um, engagement with music that happens around a city. Um, since that's not happening, I, I've definitely seen, um, a pretty big effect on what, what that means for, uh, local record stores because the, engagement has changed right now. Obviously like people are having to improvise with what it means to be a musician during pandemic times, whether that's like live streaming or, um, just sort of upping your internet game. But, but I think most musicians I've talked to, um, you know, it, it, it seems like a resource that, um, should be used for this current time. But I, I think most people obviously, uh, yearn for the days where they can play in a room full of people. Right. So, um, so yeah, I mean, there's definitely been that change that's, that's happened, but also, um, yeah, like it's, it's, sorry, I need to collect this thought, but, um, uh, at the same time, I, I do think there have been musicians who have been getting creative with what the restrictions of the pandemic means. And so in the last, um, year, uh, there's been a couple Montreal labels that have started up and have, uh, been putting out releases on vinyl. Uh, there's one called celluloid lunch, for example, um, who've put out groups like, um, uh, night lunch. Uh, and yeah, they, uh, are kind of a archetype, I think of what, um, independent, uh, labels and, and community should, should be because they're just doing it for the love of it ultimately. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. Also, um, when I was looking at the website, we saw something called the Phonopolist, and it was a really cool idea. And we were wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that and like what inspired you to start this project. I saw Code the Pirate was on it, and I really like Code the Pirate, so I was like, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I mean, uh, throughout the years, like I, I've worked with a lot of um, different people, and and actually that that was more the brainchild of um, one of the former employees who um, wanted to have a you know content sort of in the vein of amoebas what's in my bag um and uh yeah ultimately like it it sort of fizzled out just because um we're yeah i i don't have film equipment um we were sort of working with a team who was doing it um sort of out of, out of kindness but uh yeah i i definitely in in times that are um less stressful and 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 more uh, or easier like it, it's something i'd like to continue well, yeah, it seems like Phenopolis is really uh, focuses a lot on like promoting Montreal, like artists from the Montreal community. What, like, in in a larger note, like, what what would you say is the role that Phenopolis plays in the Montreal music community? 
Yeah. Um, I, I guess like a way to answer that would be, um, to sort of define what the community is in some ways, because, um, it, we're able to reach certain portions of it with using, um, the internet, but also, um, in pre COVID days, uh, we would have, um, people come and set up their instruments inside the store occasionally and play music and just anybody could walk in. We didn't charge anything. Um, and oftentimes people who, uh, just were walking by would, would kind of come in to, to watch some free music that was happening. Um, so, those are the kinds of things that I, uh, dearly miss doing with the store. Um, but you know, we also have a, uh, I, I think the, before, um, we moved into the location on Bernard, uh, it used to be a place that sold, uh, st- strollers. <laughs> um, and so they had like, they have this big, there's, we have this like window, um, that we give out to artists if they want to promote their, um, projects. And I think most people, uh, are too afraid to ask sometimes or think that it would cost money, but it's literally like, I, I give it to whoever asks as, as long as like, you know, they're not going to, uh, put in a strobe light, uh, 24 hours a day. That's going to keep the neighbors up or something. Um, so yeah, I, I like to try to, um, keep the presence of the store, uh, on, discovering things that um, may not be too well known in in Montreal. So do these artists mostly come to you or has there ever been time where like you've seen, I don't know, someone playing on the street or or like you like you said, they'd come into your store and like, do you reach out to them first or it's mostly them who come to you? Yeah, I mean, I do have like a little bit of a caveat with, with it, which is that I'll only um, give it to artists who uh, have something they're putting out, but that can be a cassette, like I, or it could be a USB, but it literally has to be something that, um, you can <laughs> pick up in the store. Uh, and yeah, just cause I, I do think it's, um, I, I want to encourage, uh, musicians to feel like their music is, um, worth something and, and to, uh, have a, you know, way to translate it to a medium. Um, beca- because I think the, the more that you care about what you're making, um, I think the, the, the more you're going to listen, um, in a lot of ways. So, uh, yeah, like uh, most of, so to answer your question, most of the artists are just people that, um, ask if they can book a window. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Cool. Have there, have there been any, uh, artists or like in-store performances that have really stuck out to you uh, over the years? Uh, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, back when we used to be on park, um, we used to actually the, where mile end kicks is now on, on park, uh, half of that place used to be, um, uh, the old Phenopolis and it had a basement. Um, so, I mean, there are a lot of shows. I, I, uh, I, I am trying to think of which one was the most memorable, but, um, I think there was this band from, uh, Alberta called gobble gobble that played there like uh, maybe 2008 and they brought their own subwoofer and, um, part of the ceiling collapsed. <laughs> um, no, nobody got hurt. Uh, but it was, uh, I mean, that was memorable just, um, and we, we've strangely, uh, for, for all the shows we've done, um, in the store, like we've never had <laughs> problems with noise complaints. Um, I mean, we did like a show, uh, Andy boy was the name of the project. Uh, he plays in Ton starts band. I think he also ended up playing guitar in Mac DeMarco or something, but, um, he, he did a show where he brought, I think like 
three or four amplifiers and it was probably like one of the loudest shows I've seen period. Um, and ended up like, it, it was almost like performance art, uh, where he had a headset microphone and, um, during the middle of his set, uh, took one of our couches and flipped it, um, uh, vertically vertically and then perched on top of it and started screaming over top of the music. And, uh, I think a lot of people were a little bit, uh, freaked out, but you know, that's, uh, that to me is like, uh, kind of, uh, great because <laughs> it's not, yeah. How could that not be memorable? <laughs> <laughs> um, is there like a performance space in the new store that you guys have now? I haven't I mean, visited I mean, it yet we, we basically have our bins on wheels. So whenever there's, um, whenever we decide to do in stores, we just, uh, push them to the side and it's definitely cramped, uh, when there's more than 20 people in that store, but it's, uh, I think it makes for a unique experience. Yeah. Makes it more intimate. <laughs> so what was the, uh, what was the reason but for moving to Bernard? Because Bernard's a pretty popular street, too. I, obviously, Park is as well, but I know there's a lot of uh, record shops on, on Bernard. Was that one of the reasons? or just? Uh, well, it, it, was, it was the previous owner who, who did that move. I, I was working for him at the time, but I think, um, I think a big part of it actually had to do with just the, the space was free. Um, we were having some difficulty, I think, on Park for various reasons, and um, we had drawn in quarterly bookstore next door, which, um, seemed like sort of a no brainer, uh, in terms of their, um, ethos as well. Like they're, you know, an independent, uh, comics and, and bookstore. So, um, yeah. Was there any like change in sales, like with records between the two locations? Like, did you see a difference in like what type of music people were buying or was it mostly like the same? Uh, yeah, definitely saw a difference, but I, I think most, it's possible that most of those differences actually have to do with, um, the music industry itself. Um, for sure. Like I think, uh, how people consume vinyl and music has changed a lot since, uh, you know, late 2008, 2009 and, uh, 2021. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you think that the music hub is in the Milan? Like, I know that's a weird question, but do you think, because Myland is like a pretty unique area in Montreal. Do you think like a lot of the um, the music scene is is like different over there than other areas in Montreal? Uh, I mean, I think there's things within the Myland that have defined um, certain parts of Montreal music culture for at least 20 years. You know, there's Hotel to Tango and Constellation Records. Uh, around the corner, there's um, the DIY venue, the Plant, which I'm, I'm not even sure if they're still around. Um, and, and yeah, it's 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 more that the longer a venue uh, or record store or place exists, um, I guess the more there is uh, a chance for um, things to kind of pop up. But uh, I, I yeah, I, I wouldn't see um, the Myland as any kind of like center for um, Montreal music any more than any other area. I think it's just, um, you know, w w at least historically one of those places where it was easier to have spaces to practice and it was easier to, um, be able to afford cheaper rent. Uh, but I, I think the Myland has definitely changed, uh, a lot in the last 10 years and, and not all for the good in terms of what it means, uh, to be, um, you know, uh, to sustain oneself as an artist or a musician for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Do you, uh, and then with in regards to vinyl, do you think that it's this, the same trend? Uh, do you think, or do you think it's the opposite that people are uh, becoming more inclined to using vinyl in the in the mile end? Do you, or do you, are there other places in, you have in mind in, around Montreal? Or and then uh, yeah, I'll let you answer that first. That question. <laughs> oh, no, no, actually no, no, first I'm, I'm just sort of mulling it over. Um, do you mean like uh, consuming vinyl specifically? Do you think the trend of consuming vinyl is becoming more popular and uh, or consuming music on vinyl is uh, becoming more popular? And then in the mile end, do you think like it's it's, it's more like popular trendy. mile end as opposed to man, downtown core or Verdun area? Um, maybe yeah, it might be hard to map out. I, I, I know. Well, it's, it's also kind of hard to, um, I think, define that in some ways just because um, I think for a lot of people, uh, vinyl itself is maybe something like a telescope, which is that, um, most people don't, uh, own one or, or use it, but it's, um, it, the experience of it is the same today as it was back in the sixties or fifties, uh, for, for, you know, uh, on its basic level, which is you're, you're having a physical relationship with a medium. Um, and also, um, yeah, it's, it, 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 sorry, let me collect that thought. I, you're, you're having a physical relationship with a medium, but also you're engaging with music in a way where you can often, um, experience something as an album. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'll have people still to this day, even though we've been a store for, um, like 15 years now, almost who, who will come in and be like, wow, vinyls come back. Huh? I'm like, uh, yeah, it never really went away. It's just, um, I think it, it, there's an ebb and flow to people's interests with it. And, um, yeah, I, I think every sort of younger generation, um, will have reasons to get into it. Uh, but it, it's probably going to get harder, I think in the years to come as the industry changes more. And also because most independent record stores, biggest competitor is, um, like Amazon <laughs> for instance, you know? So, so that's definitely changed as well in, as, in terms of a trend. Yeah. I also, oh, I will say too, I think that a vinyl carries like an element of nostalgia a little bit too, which I think a lot of people appreciate, but, uh, and then you can't really find that on Amazon as well. Right. Yeah. I, I think it definitely gets marketed that way, but also even, um, if you're buying used records, you can oftentimes literally be buying a record that was pressed in the sixties and was owned by somebody else and actually has a sort of quality to it. Um, not, not, not in terms of the sound, but the fact that it was, you know, somebody once had this in their life. So, yeah, yeah, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Like, it's lived a lifetime almost, which is kind of a little bit cool. I was just going to add that like, uh, some, some customers get pissed off when they buy a record where somebody like drew mustaches and stuff all over the faces of people on the record. But, uh, I think it's great because it's like, oh yeah, this person, uh, clearly had fun with, uh, the music. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's like pretty, a, that's pretty fun. I, I think that, I would appreciate that. Yeah. There's like a story behind it and you'd be curious to know yeah. why <laughs> they drew those mustaches. I've, I found like photos and like letters, love letters and in old records and stuff. So th those are kind of the jams. Like I've like, I, I found this one collection of photos from the seventies where it was clear that whoever owned this was hiding in affair they were having because um it just like showed uh two people um like having some drinks in a motel somewhere and i'm like i don't know oh if this was uh 
these people were uh, <laughs> married. <laughs> that'd be that'd be a cool. You could have like a cool little book series or something. A the uh, vinyl stories type of yeah. thing. That'd be kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, I, have, I, I have a box in the back where I'm saving it, so maybe one day that will happen. <laughs> yeah, maybe one kind day. of like cool. exposing other people's stories. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, just to go back, do you think that um, with younger generations that like this whole thing about listening? on like a record player and on violin is just like for the like just super trendy because I know this might be I don't know if I want to mention this but um you know stores like Urban Outfitters when they sell like record players and stuff and I was like oh that looks like pretty sick like it looked cool in my room as like a decorative piece do you think maybe younger generations wouldn't really appreciate the whole like listening um to vinyl just because it's been so kind of like materialized almost I don't know uh ultimately no but that said, um, I think the biggest challenge uh, facing um, vinyl sales moving forward is that uh, the price has gone up a lot uh, for, for a lot of things over the years. Um, I mean, I, I remember when new records, like not only 10 years ago, like new, uh, new records um, of, you know, whatever artist that was releasing music in 2009 um, would often be sold for like 16, 17, 18 dollars. Um, and there are still a few uh, labels and um, pressing plants out there who are trying to keep the ethos of um, keeping record costs down as much as possible without compromising quality. Um, but yeah, there, there's been a lot of uh, changes and, and things that have affected the record industry in the last few years. Like, for instance, there was this huge fire in one of the lacquer warehouses three years ago, which... Um, uh, apparently is affecting like the supply of like a third of all vinyl being pressed, which, you know, that has something to do with it, but also, um, yes, like there is the urban outfitter, uh, sort of nostalgia, nostalgia, capitalism, um, quality of it. But, but ultimately no, like I, I do think what, cause at the end of the day, if, um, if you find, uh, buying records too expensive, uh, you can also, um, that that's probably because you're looking for, um, maybe something new, uh, but you can also buy used and you can also make tons of discoveries for things that, um, you know, can support your budget. So it, it, it all just sort of depends on what reasons you're wanting to listen to music. I think at the end of the day. Yeah. I, when I went to Phenopolis, I also noticed, um, that you guys sell a lot of like old kind of magazines as well. Um, I don't know. Yeah, at least I was there earlier kind of in, in the fall, but I spent like half an hour reading through an old about like Paul McCartney's relationship and or something it was like a, <laughs> a like a late 60s magazine. And I thought that was really cool. Um, do you guys uh, like is that an important aspect of Phenopolis or is it kind of just an add in? I, I, I carve out a little room for for that. Like, I mean, there's like record stores that are way more focused on things like classic rock than than I am um, who carry tons of magazines, but, um, I'm, I'm only a certain kind of size and, uh, uh, I have had, uh, yeah, I've had to do some magazine purges where I'll just basically give it a donation bin. But, um, I, I like to, yeah, like remind people of, uh, the sort of music cultures that existed and, and still exist. But, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not, uh, primarily a zine store, but, uh, yeah, we will occasionally get, uh, in a batch of some weird thing related to music that was in print yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i thought it was really really cool I, I i thought it yeah it played into like again the yeah the nostalgia of of records and and just like the hist uh, history behind like that form of playing music so i thought that was really cool 
That's cool. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so weird because, um, we used to carry this magazine called the wire, which uh, is from the States and they basically focus on like experimental avant music and it's a really good read. Um, but I, I just think print medium in general, like couldn't, uh, really keep up with the, um, allure of getting your, uh, information from the internet. Right. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, this might be a, kind of a funny question, um, Great. but when you're, <laughs> when you're working at the record store, do you secretly judge people based on their vinyl de- decisions <laughs> and their uh, music taste? Like, like in, in a way of, of like, oh, I can't believe you're buying that. Or, or just like, oh, I'd never listened to that or something like that. I don't know. Uh, no, not, not really. I mean, I, th- I think like when I was younger, uh, I probably was a little bit more of a music snob brat, but, um, like I, I think as I've gotten into my thirties, I, uh, I, I just realized that for a lot of people, um, you know, music is a gateway. So like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to judge somebody for, uh, buying a record that I probably enjoyed when I was 16 or something. <laughs> if the, um, but yeah, I mean, it, I, I'd probably only these days, I'd probably only judge somebody for buying something if, um, they only wanted to buy it on uh, blue vinyl only. And I have, I'm just like, do you care about the music or do you actually only care about fetishizing, uh, the, the record itself? Yeah. I, I find, I find people can be a little bit precious with that, but, um, yeah, in general, I try to keep it as no judgment as uh, possible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's good to know. <laughs> Fair. Um, do you, what, what is your most demanded record, uh, I guess uh, maybe, maybe I don't I don't want to say of all time because maybe that's a tough one. But just. I mean, uh, the, these days actually, I um, I'd say in the last year, uh, it's been De La Soul, Three Feet High and Rising, uh, which unfortunately I don't think will ever be pressed again in our lifetime because there's like a whole story to that about um, uh, like the album being taken off the market because of uh, uncleared samples that are on it. And I, the last I read, I don't think they're ever going to, um, receive, uh, or sorry, they're, they're never going to, uh, untangle it because I think some of the artists that they sample, like were demanding crazy amounts of compensation if they wanted to continue using it. And it's like, well, we can't pay you $3 million. <laughs> like, so, um, yeah, the, so that, that record, uh, was last pressed, I think in 2001 or something. And people ask about it all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, unfortunately, we're running out of some time. I but apologize usually, to your editor. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah. okay. um, but usually at the end of our podcast, we do like a rapid fire question segment. Okay, okay. So we're just going to ask you a couple questions and just say the, the first thing that pops up into your head. Okay. Um, so the first question is, what was the first record that you've ever bought? Uh, I think it was either... Uh, Godspeed You Black Emperor, F-sharp, A-sharp, or Elliot Smith's self-title. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Cool. Very cool. cool. Um, favorite Montreal band of all time? Uh, these days, uh, Bush Lady by Alanis Abomsoen. So what would you think the best record to get a tattoo to is? <laughs> Random, <laughs> uh, but. It depends where the tattoo is, I suppose. But if it was on one's arm, then um, probably drive like Jehu, uh, um, which one? I don't know. A drive like Jehu. Yeah. Drive like Jehu. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, and w- uh, most, most listened record that you've owned? Uh, probably animal collective song tongs. 
Um, so what's your bestseller record at the store? What's going on, Marvin Gaye? <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I believe that. Um, what Do you have a record that you regret kind of getting rid of back when vinyl was, uh, everyone thought vinyl was kind of dying, uh, dying off? Uh, well, I'm pleased to say I never got rid of any of my records, but I did lose uh, 70 of them once in a, um, a mix-up where uh, they got put next to an apartment heater and got warped. And uh, there was a, a copy of, um, uh, I mean, this is pretty basic, but uh, George Harrison's All Things Must Pass, which uh, was just, it, it looked like it got run over by a car. <laughs> Oh no. And 70 of them. That's so many. (laughs) Yeah. Oh no. Um, do you have a guilty pleasure record? Um, yes. Uh, and that's actually, uh, when I don't want to listen to music, but want something else to listen to, um, I listened to, to this album of, uh, bird songs of North America. So it's literally like a, uh, uh, just field recordings. <laughs> that's, that's, that's cool. Pretty, yeah. That's really cool. I can see how that's relaxing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Different vibe. Yeah. Totally different yeah. vibe. Um, and yeah, what's a, what's the record that do you think best describes yourself? <laughs> oh, Jesus. Um, uh, I don't know if I can answer that in terms of my entire self, but these days, uh, Scott Walker, the drift. <laughs> <laughs> Scott Walker, the drift. Nice. And um, one last question. Um, what record does every McGill student need to get through finals? Finals, you're trying to focus. You're trying to just uh, stay focused on memorizing things. So you need a really good ambient record. And for that, uh, I-, I would say you should get... Um, the album is called Music uh, for Nine Postcards, and it's by Hiroshi Yoshimura. Oh, Noted. Maybe cool. I'll have noted. to look yeah. into that. Uh, <laughs> listeners, hopefully every, all of our listeners have noted, yeah. noted that. It'll come, it, in, it's come very in handy. Tra- it's very tranquil and, um, and also not boring tranquil. Just uh, It's pleasant to have on in the background. <laughs> yeah, an interesting tranquil. tranquil. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, that's uh, all the questions we have today. Um, thank you so much for coming on our Music to Life podcast. Oh, no, no. Thank, thanks for having me. I'm sorry if I rambled too much. No, not at all. Is there anything you'd like to say uh, about Phenopolis or anything going on in your coming up in your music life? Or um, Not really. I mean, like, um, I, I think that uh, listeners who are just kind of wondering how to um, stay involved with uh, a community, um, communities in Montreal during a pandemic and uh, just, you know, keep searching out there. There's a lot of people like yourselves, um, jam for justice and, uh, contact your local record store and, and, uh, ask them for a recommendation of uh, local artists or, um, you know, try, try to, uh, stay in touch with, um, people as much as you can during these times. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Thank Well, yeah. yeah. Thanks so much thanks for coming for, on and, uh, thanks guys. Thanks for your time. Great. Yeah. My pleasure. <laughs>